But all right, let's get in the Word. We up to chapter number 26 in the Gospel of Matthew. We're about to wrap it up. We got two chapters left. But if there's anywhere else you've been, anything you want to talk about, give away, share, anything that might just pique your interest, something that you want to uh, be a blessing to somebody else that just really has helped you as you've been going through, hey, give it away. Tonight's the night to do it right now. 24, chapter 24. All right, so we're looking at this, this picture here of this parable that Jesus begins to share. Uh, one, one thing that we want to see, we go back to what? The first few verses of chapter 24. Look in verse number 4. Remember this, And Jesus answered and said to them to do what? Take heed. Take heed for what reason? Why were they to take personal responsibility and be accountable that no one does what does he mention that a few more times he does he brings that up on several occasions in this olive discourse you got to keep in mind this this word that he's given this is a private word with his disciples this is who he's teaching right now in Jesus's last message his last public message where he proclaimed the word was chapter number 23 and chapter 23 was no light matter that was a strong word he went out with a bang didn't he that was the last public proclamation that he gave generally to the people and before the people and man he didn't hold any punches he called them uh, blind, blind guides whitewashed tombs you know, a lot of times when people give their last public declaration, they want to go out with a very uplifting, encouraging, uh, I want to walk away in this kind of memory where everybody's like, wow, what a word, what great encouragement. But Jesus went out with a very, one of the hardest, if not the hardest message that he proclaimed was his last public preaching word was in chapter 23 then he gets him off to himself and he says take heed no one deceive you he brings it up again and again and again and again and then we see in verse number 45 he then poses the question who then if you can't trust all that if if they're going to be false prophets if there's going to be false Christ and the intent of the enemy is to deceive us, who then can we actually trust? Who is a faithful and wise servant? And then he's going to give three stories of, for us to understand the difference between the, the deceiver and those who are not faithful and wise and those who are. And that begins in verse number 45 through verse 51. That question... Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom this faithful and wise servant, his master made ruler over his house to give them food in due season? And then he's going to explain the nature and the character and the interest, the, the interest of this servant. He is interested in the master's people. He's interested in the master's work that is the faithful and wise servant somebody who takes 
the master's goods and the master's people and the responsibility that the master gave them and they are interested in it. They are invested in it. They are involved in it, not somebody who just puts it aside and says, well, my master's gone. He's not going to come back for a while, so I'm just going to go about and do whatever I want and we'll catch up later. No, this person, even though the master's not looking over their shoulder, even though the master's not seeing everything that's going on in daily operation, they treat it as if the master's right there and can see everything they're doing. Why? Because they're really interested in the master's work. They want to bless him. Are you with me? And that's the, that's the kind of people who you can, who's faithful and wise and not your deceivers who are not in it for themselves, but they in it for the master. They in it for the master. Yes, yes, because in, in our day we live in, and it's been like this for a long time, uh, there are those deceivers, there are those false messengers, and those deceivers and false messengers make it more about them than they do the master and the master's resources. Verse 46, blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing, taking care of what the master gave him to take care of. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunkards, and the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not prepared, he's not looking, he's not watching, he's not waiting, he's not working for him, and in an hour that he's not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing and teeth. Man, that's a warning for us, that we don't be deceived ourselves. Not only are we not to be deceived, but we're not to deceive ourselves. And we're not to deceive anyone else. I had jotted down a little note just before I came over, thinking about these, these particular passages of Scripture. What we see in this, Brother Shannon, is that in these, this one parable, illustrated with three different stories, the next story is about the ten virgins. And then the next story is about the faithful steward. So we see several things here with each of these is that those who are faithful and wise are steady and ready. Just remember that, steady and ready. How do you want to know people that are faithful and wise? They are steady in the master's work and they are ready for the master to return. They're, they're not ashamed of what they're doing. They're not ashamed to be caught in what they're doing because they're steady. They're steady. They're consistent. They're steady and ready in the master's work. Everyone else, everyone else falls in these categories. Either they're low and dull. They're either gloom and doom. They're either mean and lean. They either sway and fray. They mumble and crumble. But they're not steady and ready. Y'all get that? Either you're steady and ready or you're not. And those that are not have a rude awakening coming. Yet we have to be steady and ready. See, those who are steady and ready are those who endure to the end. Remember what Jesus said? 
He said in earlier in chapter number 24, look in verse number 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Who are those that endure to the end? They are the ones who are steady and ready. They're steady and ready. They're consistent, steadfast, ready, ready to work, ready to serve, ready to wait, ready to do. They are servants. Why? They are interested in the master and his kingdom. They are involved in the master's work and they are invested. They've invested their life and livelihood in the master's kingdom and agenda. They're steady and ready. And everything else goes over to the being lull and dull. Like the ten virgins, five virgins was what? Steady and? But the other ones were lull and dull. They wasn't, they wasn't interested. They wasn't, they wasn't involved. They wasn't invested in it. They didn't have their all ready. So they wasn't steady and ready. The other servants that beat the master's servants because the master was tearing his coming, they were mean and lean. They were not givers. They were what? Takers. They were not steady and ready. They swayed and they were frayed in their work. They were easily frayed like a garment that is worn that easily frays when it's put under stress and under a test. And the other one, when you look at the later part of chapter 25, in the third story, you see the one who just mumbled and crumbled. He went and hid what he had and dug, put it in the ground because he knew his master was a cruel master and he didn't want to lose any of it. So he just mumbled and crumbled away. And when the master came, he said, I knew you was a cruel kind of guy and I didn't want to be caught empty-handed, so I just took what you gave me, went and buried it, so when you came, I'd just give you that back. And the master said, well, if you knew that, you should have invested it. You should have done something to try to get an increase for me. I gave it to you to increase it, to be a blessing. But you just mumbled and crumbled away because you got more interested in your work than being involved and invested in my work. So it really boils down to what he's teaching us here is that we want to be steady and ready. Amen? Amen. Anything other than that is not going to fare out well for us. So steady and ready, folks, are ready for the coming of the Lord. They know. Look in verse 36, chapter 24, 36. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. What day and hour? What is he talking about? The coming of the Lord. No man knows that. No angel in heaven, no man on earth. Only the father knows. But, verse 37, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. There's that word until again. Remember that was Sunday mornings. We looked at that word until. Until, well, I'm going to add 
another dynamic to that is that how long will everyday life go on as normal or ordinary for those who are in the dark and have no clue of their desperate need of Jesus? How long? Until the Lord comes. How long will they continue in everyday life as normal and ordinary, marrying and burying and celebrating, fulfilling their plans? They will have plans for the future. They will do all those things as normal, ordinary, everyday life until... Sunday morning, Karen, what we did is that we, we'd been looking, we looked through Matthew about that little word, until. Until, and we went through and looked at four or five things. I can't remember how many there were of where the scripture says, for an example to Joseph, go unto Egypt until you receive word from me. Well, how long do we stay in a place? How long do we stay until we hear a word from the Lord. How long do we stay on the job? Until we hear a word from the Lord. How long do we stay in a community? Until we hear a word from the Lord. How long do we stay in a fellowship? Until. And we just went through and there's, a, there, there's quite a few of them. And this is just an added to that. Is that how long will everyday life go on as normal or ordinary for those who are in the dark and have no clue of their desperate need for Jesus until Jesus comes again. Or, here's the thing, here's the clincher, until Jesus comes again to do two things, disrupt and destroy. Just like he did in the flood. Remember when the flood came, what did he come? He come and disrupted their plans. He disrupted their marrying and their burying. And their celebrations. He disrupted that. They were planning for future events. They had no, under, uh, no idea until the point came that Noah entered into the ark. And when Noah entered into the ark, what began to fall? That is when the everyday, ordinary, normal way for their lives was disrupted. But see, that disruption came for destruction. So everyday normal life will either be disrupted for destruction or it will be interrupted for an invasion of His grace. Our lives went on as ordinary, normal, everyday life until Jesus interrupted us and invaded us with His grace. Amen. Then He gave us, put us on a whole other agenda. So there's two things, two things that can be expected prior to the coming of the Lord. That is either God will interrupt people and invade them with His grace and put them on another course of living, or He will disrupt them with destruction. There's only two things that this world can expect. A disruption that leads to destruction or an interruption that leads to His invasion. And when He invades... He changes the way we think. He changes the way we live. Not that we'll be perfect. We've talked about this a thousand times. Not that we won't battle with thoughts and not that we won't battle with sin and the corruption of the flesh. But there's an interruption of our agenda in life. Just like Noah. You see, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know what God did for Noah? He interrupted him. Amen. You know what he did? He 
invaded him with his grace. He put him on a whole nother course. Noah was moved with the warning or the interruption of God and he began to prepare an ark for the saving of his household. Not only did he prepare an ark, but he started, what? Preaching a message that, that floodwaters were coming and people mocked him and laughed. See, floodwaters were coming, but what's a flood of fires coming for the destruction in the future? Noah was proclaiming rain was going to fall, but we proclaim the rain of Jesus is coming. And people are either going to be interrupted with that message or they'll be disrupted with a following destruction. So how long will everyday life go on as normal? Until they're either interrupted or disrupted. A disruption comes with destruction comes to uh, totally disrupt the order of things. And that's what's going to happen here is that the picture says what, what was going on in the days of Noah with Genesis. Go look in Genesis 6. Let's just see if there's a parallel to where we are right now. Genesis chapter number 6. I think we'll see. That makes sense to you? We'll look at it again in Matthew, but he uses that word until twice. Now, the first word that he uses is not the same word that we've been talking about. The first word until, meaning until Noah got on the ark, that was a point of reference, a point in time that they continued to do what they did until Noah got on the ark, that point of reference. The second one was, they did not know until the floods came. That word until is the same word we've been looking, we looked at Sunday, which is talking about a duration of time. One's a point of reference in time. The other is duration of time. So in Genesis chapter number six, look in the first few verses. It says, now it came to pass, verse one, when men begin to what? Multiply. multiply on the face of the earth. Men begin to multiply on the face of the earth. Now think about that for a moment. Only people can estimate with a great guesstimation of how many people were on the earth in those days. Because we don't have a clue of how many people were on the earth. But one thing that we got to keep in mind, how long did people live in those days? Not only a long time. Some of them lived up to what we can see up to 900 years old, right? But they lived up to 900 years old and they were still having children at 7 and 6 and 800 years old. Are you with me? Not that they were going to visit somebody the elderly folks who, who are older and mature that are no longer having children in their 80s and 90s, we're talking about 800 years old and still capable of having children and reproducing and still working and still doing all they can. The world, the atmosphere of the climate of the world in that day was different than it is today. Amen. That is obvious. Because after the flood, men's age began to drop to what we know as a normal today. But prior to that, 
the world was totally different. The climate, the atmosphere, everything about it had to be different. So the population began to multiply or increase. How many people? I have no idea. But you figure when people were living to 800, 900 years old, they having children at 6 and 7 and 800 years old, you can see how, how quickly things can multiply and the population can increase pretty rapidly. Well, since the flood, what is recorded in human history, it took from the flood time frame from the flood to the mid-1800s for this world to eventually reach one billion people. It took nearly some 70 to nearly 100 years to increase to 2 billion people. And then it took nearly, I think, maybe around 30 to 20 years. Right now, the population is increasing at a rate that it's getting to a place where it's starting to double every 20 years. That fast. It's multiplying. It took how many years from the flood to 18-something? You're talking about nearly 6,000 years to reach a billion, but now it's gone from 1 billion in the mid-1800s to this year, pushing some 8 billion people on the planet. You see how fast it's increased? So the increase of the volume of people, just like it was in the days of Noah, we see in that right now. Amen. In the days of Noah, it'd be like the days of Noah, and an increase in the volume of people. What was the second thing that was there? The scripture says not only was there an increase in the volume of people, but there was an increase in the vileness of these people. Yeah. An increase in the vileness in the things that they were doing, the way that they were living. Men were just doing whatever they wanted to do. They were taking whatever they wanted to take. And they were taking as many wives as they wanted to take. They were, they were doing things that were uncharacteristic of previous generations. And that's a lot like what we see today. This increased vileness among the people. And then the third thing is that he says, look if you would... In verse number 9, well, verse number 11. And the earth was what? Corrupt before God. That was that every imagination of the heart was desperately wicked, all about themselves. And the earth was filled with an increase in volume, an increase in vileness, and an increase in violence. And I want to tell you today, Compared to what the world you lived in and the world we live in today, the world we live in today is much more violent than it was a hundred years ago. Amen. You think about it. Oh, yeah. We talk about it all the time. It is much more violent today and it's only getting worse. Yeah. He says, it will be as it was in the days of Noah a multiplication of increasing people, a multiplication of increasing vile actions. And a multiple increase in violence. We see that. Now the world's always been vile and it's always been violent. But we see in it drastically, rapidly becoming worse and worse. So we, we understand that we can see these things happening. 
But while this becomes the norm, this is the norm, people are still what? Marrying. People are still giving in marriage. People still have plans for the future. And they have, they are in the dark. They are in the dark on the return of Christ. They have, they live with no, with no insight, no clue whatsoever. Even though it's been proclaimed. See, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah said the flood was coming, but nobody paid Noah any attention. Nobody heeded his message. They paid it no attention. And the Bible says that they did not know until God came and disrupted what was normal for them. And that's what's going to happen. So God is either going to interrupt people and invade them with his grace as he did with Noah. He interrupted. Noah was a part of this society. Noah was in the midst of it. God had already determined that he was going to destroy. But Noah was interrupted and invaded with God's grace. No different than what you and I have been interrupted and invaded with his grace. And what we want to go out and proclaim Jesus to this world we live in. Because if they're not interrupted, all they could anticipate is a disruption of what they know as being ordinary, normal way of everyday life. And they have no, they are in the dark. They have no clue of this disruption that is coming. And that's the picture. How will people live in normal everyday life? They will live that way until, until, until they're interrupted or they're disrupted by Jesus. Either way, Jesus is the one's going to do it. We praying for more interruptions. We want to see more interruptions. Amen? Amen. More interruptions than this world being disrupted with the calamities that are yet to come. Noah preached a flood of water. We, ple- we preach a flood or the wrath of God's fires that are coming. <coughs> Wrath, nonetheless, flood or fire. God's already made a promise. That's what the rainbow was about. Remember what we talked about the rainbow just on what Father's Day? We said the rainbow was in remembrance. God would remember his covenant, but it was a twofold promise that no matter the color, no matter how colorful life is, nor its bend, God always deals with pride. God always deals with rebellion. God would deal with sin. But we have a promise as well that he will never cover the earth with destructive waters of the flood. It still floods in places. People still die as a result of floods. But not a catastrophic worldwide flood to uh, destroy all that breathes upon the earth. He's reserved that for fire. And either we can come under the blood of Jesus who took our wrath and judgment or we could only anticipate the fires of God without his mercy. But that's what the rainbow, the message of it is for us. And so it's a reminder to God of his promise toward us, but it's a promise to us, hey, that God's going to deal with, with sin. He dealt with sin on our behalf in Christ or we could only anticipate this disruptive destruction that is going to come upon the earth. Amen?
And the only way they can know is that we got to go tell them. That's right. You figure Noah was, was limited to what was around him. Noah didn't have no missionaries. No. Noah didn't have no missionaries or ambassadors to send throughout the world. Even though the population was increasing and men were all over the world and the population was growing all over the world, there was most of the world, minus just a small, minute local assembly around where he built that ark and where he could preach, the rest of the world was in the dark. They had no clue what was coming. And that's what compels us to go tell the world that we don't want you to be in the dark on this. We want you to know that there is one who stood in between us and God and provided redemption for us and that he's coming. And he will either interrupt you or he's going to disrupt you. And what you, sh what you need, what you want is his interruption because with his interruption comes his grace. And you and I need his grace. You don't want to be disrupted in your ordinary life because the only thing follows that is destruction. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's a lot about Noah. So many parallels that the more we get familiar with him, the better equipped we are to proclaim uh, the, the redeeming, saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ because there are so many parallels in our society in our day of us being missionaries to go forth and be proclaimers of something's coming. Noah was known for what he preached. That's why the Bible refers to it as the waters of Noah. The waters of Noah. Look at that, Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 54. The waters of Noah. But Isaiah 54 in verse number 9 says, For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Now, that idea, the waters of Noah, not only is it a point of reference to the worldwide catastrophic, destructive disruption of God, but it's also because I, I personally believe that Noah was known for the message that he preached and the life that he lived. Not only what he preached, but his preaching matched his life. What was Noah doing while he preached that those waters were coming? He was building an ark. The scripture says the word of God affected Noah's life. It moved him. That's where Hebrews says that by faith, through the warning of God, Noah was moved and he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. What was the difference between, what separated Noah from everybody else on the planet in that day? What separated Noah Great. from everybody else? Great. Number one, God himself. Number two, God's grace. Number three, God's goodness. God revealed to him in his goodness what was to come and what to do. And how to get it done, God's guidance. That is what separated him from everybody else. 
was God Himself, His presence, His grace, His goodness, and His guidance. That made the man different from everybody else. And those same things are what is going to make us different from everyone else. Not, not ourselves, only God, only His grace, His goodness, and His guidance. That's what separates us from everything else. What He's done in Christ on our behalf. You see, what Christ did at the cross was, was what made it possible for God to show grace to Noah. Because Noah wasn't righteous. Noah was just as much as a sinner as everybody else was. But God, in His redeeming purpose and plan, interrupted him. Graciously came to him. And His grace and His goodness revealed what was to come and then guided him on a solution to overcome the destruction that was coming. And I want to tell you, that's exactly what he's doing with us today. Amen. It's his presence in our lives that makes us holy. It's his grace that makes us righteous. It's his goodness in our life that makes the difference in us and everyone else. It's his guidance that's teaching us how to prepare the body of Christ like Noah prepared that ark. It, it's, it's, it's God, amen, amen, who's made the difference. And that's what's going to be the difference in us as well. So if there's no evidence of God, no evidence of His grace, no evidence of His goodness nor His guidance, there is no separation, right? That's right. None. You're still like everybody else. But boy, when he gets involved and his grace is at work and his goodness, and that's exactly what God does. You know, when, you have, when we have anything going on in our life, like a root of bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, whatever it is, several things that's got to happen, and this goes in this pattern. Number one, God's got to reveal it. Amen. Number two, grace is what's got to remove it. Number three, goodness is must be what replaces it, God's goodness. Remember, God never takes us out of something without putting us in something. He never removes something from us without replacing it with His goodness. And then God's guidance in leading us into that which He's given us to do. God's got to reveal it. Grace has got to remove it. Goodness must replace it and then we see his guidance is what continually renews us for what he's called us to do and to accomplish we see it with Noah and you'll see it in your life and you'll see it in my life if God's involved amen, amen. he's revealing he's removing he's replacing and he's renewing and it's a consistent daily pattern and that's a different agenda than the world who lives normal, ordinary, everyday, making plans with no clue of God's revelation, no clue of God's grace removing them from anything, no clue of God's goodness being replaced, that which He removed them from, and no guidance of God to continue to renew them to walk with Him. 
That's all the work that Jesus does in our life. Amen? Amen. Mm, mm, mm. Father, we thank you tonight. We bless you. We give you praise. Ask you for help on this. We know this, this disruption's coming. We know that destruction's on the way. But we asking you to use us as your ambassadors, as your disciple makers, that we go forth in your power, in your name, for your glory, to interrupt and invade that you do this work. You've got to reveal it. You've got to remove them. You've got to replace it with your goodness. And we need you to guide us. And we need you to do that work in our family members and our friends and our co-workers and those that we live among and those that we serve among. Uh, we asking you to do this marvelous and wonderful work that only you can do. Thank you for interrupting us. And thank you for sending us out to do your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all. Y'all have a good night.